Norway's Sleipner project, which began storing CO2 in 1996, was the first industrial-scale CCS project developed with the aim to curb CO2 emissions from industry. A first of its kind, inspiration and ambition behind some of those tasks to initially work on the project was rooted in a number of factors, including the UN's Our Common Future report published in the late 1980s that brought forward the concept of sustainable development. To walk us down CCS memory lane is Olaf Karsted. Now retired, Mr. Karsted was one of the original researchers and advisors on the Snopler project with Equinor and was also part of the IEA's greenhouse gas R&D program as it was just getting started. Maybe Olaf, you can perhaps share a little bit about yourself and, and your professional journey as it relates to uh, CCS and and uh, the Slapner project. Uh, yeah, I've been in Equinor for about yeah over thirty years actually, and uh, I've been retired now for seven years. In nineteen eighty eight, uh, we um, had just read the so called uh, Brundtland report, the Our Common Future report. And uh, we started thinking that uh, being a fossil fuel company, we uh, were in for some uh, hard thinking about uh, the future. And at the same time, other people, Gruhard and Brundtland was a major figure in Norway at the time. Uh, she had been the Minister of Environment. Uh, she became the... Uh, um, Prime Minister in Norway, and she also introduced in 1991 the uh, CO2 tax, which was very high and impacted uh, quite a lot on the oil and gas industry in Norway. So um, when we started thinking about this in 1988, uh, we thought that um, Perhaps we could do something along the lines that um, um, maybe we could put CO2 back into the ground. I think that was a very natural um, way to think about this, even though we found out a few had thought along those same lines elsewhere. Uh, but. Um, Mostly, this came as a big surprise on the, on most people in the oil and gas business. But uh, yeah, we we when we started this, we thought we were very much alone. That no one had thought about this, and even in Norway, we had three different uh, groups. Uh, one was where I was uh, working in Equinor, then the Sleipner project. Uh, had their own thinkers, and uh, we also had uh, the research institution Sintef uh, in Norway. I should also mention that at this time, these guys in the Sintef, Lindeberg and Holt, they had very good connections to the um, uh, various environmental groups in Norway. So. I think that has played a major role, their connection to these various environmental groups, because uh, we have had the backing of most of them uh, all along up to now. So it sounds like then at the beginning of the project, 
there were three different entities primarily that were thinking along the same lines. How did that collaboration come to be? The collaboration uh, sort of came automatically. Norway being a small country, not everyone knows everyone, but it's close to. And uh, about a year after we had started thinking about this in the various uh, groups, uh, we were working together on this. The, the leaders here, uh, in because of the size of the project became the uh, Sleipner group who actually did these things, uh, did inject CO2 uh, eventually. So Sintef um, uh, uh, had their own uh, way of thinking about this and uh, we in the research part of the Equinor, we had a slightly different way of thinking about this. We were thinking more about CO2 removal from electricity generation, from making hydrogen from fossil fuels, from uh, making ammonia, petrochemicals, these kind of things. Sintef's focus was more on um, the use of CO2 for enhanced oil recovery. And the Sleipner project was focused on their project, which was CO2 removal from CO2 rich natural gas and storing that CO2. From that, how did the conversation around Selpner unfold as the project was being assessed, both from a business perspective and as a climate solution? This our common future report. Uh, Gro Harlem Brundtland became prime minister, introduced the CO2 tax and so forth. Uh, this became sort of the environment that we lived in. Uh, I think the thinking about uh, climate change uh, probably came a little bit earlier in Norway than uh, in many other countries. And uh, this decision uh, that was made uh, about Sleipner, uh, the CO2 tax that Gro uh, Harlem Brundtland, our prime minister, uh, introduced, which was a quite high CO2 tax, it made uh, the Sleipner project profitable, even though it costs millions or millions of, or billions of kroner. Uh, offshore. Uh, so it's it's a mixture of climate change, uh, business, uh, but we shouldn't think that this was only business. It was business, but it wasn't only business. So it sounds like in, in Norway, those conversations are never divorced. I think, as you mentioned, I think Norway has been always been a little bit ahead of the curve. Maybe can you speak to how the, let's say, the carbon tax influenced um, getting the project going? Um, the thinking about the CO2 injection at Sleipner started before the carbon tax was introduced, but and that was in 1991. But it has had been discussed for two or three years before that, and everyone expected it to be. Um, to come. We didn't know how big it would be and so forth, but uh, 
we expected that there would be a sizable CO2 tax, and it was. And when you did the calculations uh, for Sleipner, it came out as a fairly good idea also business-wise. You're painting a very, a, almost a it was almost a seamless journey, it sounds like, uh, to get to get uh, Selpner done. What were some of the obstacles that you faced? The obstacles, well, I, I think uh, building a CO2 capture uh, uh, process plant offshore, it's it's not incredibly difficult, I would say, but it's it's a sizable project. We had to build a, a platform for CO2 capture uh, apart from the rest of the uh, the field, and it was so big that uh, at the time when one there were two big modules to be lifted on board this platform, the biggest uh, module weighed uh, 12,000 tons. It was the biggest lift done offshore at the time. So it was a sizable big project. It's not, uh, and it, the costs were also quite uh, quite large. But uh, otherwise, I would say with the support of the government, the support of the um, uh, most, at least most of the environmental uh, groups in Norway, and. Uh, the calculation that this was a fairly good business proposition as well. Of course, there were problems, but we had quite a lot of support. Uh, it sounds <laughs> perhaps <laughs> incredible, but uh, uh, yeah, it sort of just worked out that way. Yeah, it does sound incredible, but it also makes it a little bit more clear why you know, getting Longship, which is the new uh, Norwegian project that has a potential to store CO2 for neighboring countries that want to take on CCS. It, it makes it makes sense now why really Norway is leading the charge. So before Sleipner, there were there were carbon capture projects happening in North America. Unlike Sleipner, it wasn't for uh, capturing and storing for the purposes of CO2 mitigation, but needless, it, it, it was still an innovative new technology that ultimately we CCS, uh, kind of the seed in which CCS grew from is that. So the Terrell project, for example, in Texas, um, I think that was the first CC get, well, carbon capture project that happened. Did your team turn to... Um, your counterparts in North America that were doing something similar? Uh, yeah, we uh, quite early, both, uh, yeah, everyone involved knew or eventually knew at least uh, about the, uh, in particular, the North American projects in the US and also in Canada. So, um, Quite early, we started to uh, go across the dam and uh, and uh, talk to these people. We uh, also, uh, yeah, we learned a lot from them uh, on on specific issues having to do with uh, injection, 
corrosion, which is a problem sometimes in when you have mixed water and CO2. Uh, what type of reservoir you are injecting into and what could happen and so forth. And um, uh, eventually uh, people came over from uh, the US to uh, work with us on uh, a particular CO CCS projects. So yes, there was a lot of cooperation actually. And uh, we also, uh, got a lot of cooperation with the um, US uh, um, energy authorities. Yeah, the US Department of Energy. Yeah, yeah. Concurrently to Salpner, you were also part of one of the initial um, staff, I think, of the IAGHG, is that right? Yeah. It is sometime in 1991, uh, I got a call from the Norwegian uh, Ministry of Energy, a guy there, and he said, there are some wild bunch that is going to have a meeting in Paris. <laughs> could you could you go there and hear what this is? The um, IAGHG, at least seen from my perspective, was very important because um one of the first things we did was to offer up uh, the co2 injection at sleipner as sort of a demonstration project started to get financing from the eu and from other partners uh, for doing more than the sleipner project itself would do with regard to interpretation of what was happening underground and so forth. So this became uh, sort of um, a very good way of starting out the IEA GHG project. Was the perception of CCS at the time that this would be one of the needed tools to lead to industrial decarbonization? Um, one of the things that uh, the IEA GHG program did was to um, propose to um, the uh, UN um, what is what is it called the the uh, A, the UNFCCC yeah right, right. <laughs> I'm getting old uh, proposed that uh, a, a special report to be made under their uh, their hat, so to speak, uh, about CCS as a climate change uh, mitigation tool. And that report, ooh, I was involved quite a lot of it, in it, and uh, the IEA greenhouse gas program was very much involved in arranging the whole thing. So uh, that report brought CCS into the uh, uh, the bigger scheme of things with regard to climate change and what can be done about it and so forth. So, yeah. And, and the projects uh, like uh, projects like uh, Sleipner and uh, also other projects uh, like uh, the ones in Canada and the US uh, was very much part of that report. How long was the assessment 
before CO2 was being stored at Salpner? I guess a couple of years uh, because you had much data. Uh, you had uh, much data from the oil and or, or the gas production in Sleipner. Uh, so you didn't start from zero. Uh, you started uh, with a lot of knowledge. So today Norway is it's seen as one of the leaders in the CCS CCU space. Um, is this where you pictured CCS would be um, in in your early in your early days when it was kicking off? How did you think um, Sleipner would would play a role in that? And where did you see the future of CCS going? Well, initially it was it was we were thinking about this as maybe or maybe not. Uh, but um, when we started to sort of get things rolling a bit. And it wasn't, wasn't only Sleipner. Uh, we eventually got the Snövit project uh, up north, uh, north of Norway, uh, which has also been injecting CO2 for a long time. Uh, and I, I think my um, vision of this was very much that not only that we should do their internal cleanup of CO2 sources like Sleipner and Snövit, but that we should also clean up our products like generating CO2, uh, electricity uh, and hydrogen and petrochemicals capturing CO2. So I think my work has been more in that area, uh, cleaning up uh, our products. And what conversations were being had uh, at the time around cross-border CCS projects? Over the last year here in Europe, governments have been kicking off that conversation. Most recently, Denmark and the Belgian government um, signing an MOU on the topic. So was this in the peripheral for you, um, cross-border projects, either at your role um, with the IAGHG program or at Equinor? To me, uh, and also to the um, IAGHG, uh, this thing about uh, cross-border transport uh, of CO2 has been with us from the early days, I would say. I think in the mid-1990s, we started talking to um, owners of uh, petrochemical plants uh, in, in Germany, Netherlands, Belgium, France, uh, the UK. Uh, so we have had uh, lots of meetings uh, to explore possibilities and so forth. Uh, but these things cost a lot of money. So we, yeah, the answer, the short answer is yes, we thought about this more or less from day one. Is there anything about CCS progress that you'd like us maybe to know about, whether it's Norway specific or beyond that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, well, I have mentioned uh, this thing in Norway, which is very 
peculiar to the rest of the world, I think. It is the uh, very positive uh, attitude of the environmental groups. Uh, without that, I don't think the Norwegian government would have kept uh, been kept on board in the CCS project for so long. Uh, I don't think the uh, yeah we have had uh, and still have very large um, R&D uh, programs uh, financed by the government that's been run every year from decades uh, ago that keeps uh, developing young people into experts on various parts of the CCS chain. These things, um, yeah, I, I'm amazed that uh, Norway and Equinor and the government of Norway and many research institutions have managed to keep their focus for three, three and a half decades on uh, this topic. Uh, I'm a little bit amazed, uh, a little bit proud perhaps. Uh, yeah, not without problems, but uh, it's a, uh, paradigm shifting kind of thing. It takes time. Uh, a lot of people have thought that this is not worth uh, doing, but sufficient number of people has thought that it is worth doing. So it has happened, but it had taken a long time, of course. Olaf, thank you for speaking with me, one of the pioneers of, of CCS. Any final words? I, I think... Uh, never give up because uh, i think it's uh, ccs is uh, one of the things that we need to get to tackle climate change it's not the only thing at all but uh, at least these large uh, co2 sources um, we should think about this as old ccs as uh, maybe a major technology for other sources other uh, there are other things to do, and uh, I think the uh, I would encourage uh, environmental groups to support. But other, mm -hmm. otherwise, uh, I <laughs> only say good luck. Thank you. For more details about this episode and podcast, visit globalccsinstitute.com and head to the Multimedia Library. <laughs>